0: I want to thank Jean um, for the opportunity to speak to you today. When she um, asked me if I would like to do this, she suggested that for the next month and a half or so, we would be considering how people who write bring the Dharma into their writing. So I'm particularly grateful to be considered enough of a writer to be included in this group and also very grateful to have a reason uh, to write at this time. I I feel with the passing of Jim, I may have neglected to continue that, that writing practice for myself. And this has really, really helped me carry on. So. An unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagatha's words. Such a profound practice, death. For the first days I was frozen, I barely remember anything. I was grateful for the friends and family who came and helped and those who came and stayed. My son and I sat Shiva and listen to the well-meaning and often useful advice from our friends. Don't do anything for a year. Get your house appraised. Make lists. Get outside in the sun. Don't forget to eat. Don't forget to drink water. Call me. Always have someone to say goodnight to. We read the cards and quotes and poems that people left behind. The mind cannot conceive of unreal things. Everything imagined is reality. David Smith, sculptor. When Death Comes by Mary Oliver When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity wondering what is it going to be like that cottage of darkness and therefore i look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood and i look upon time as no more than an idea and i consider eternity as another possibility i think of each life as a flower as common as a field daisy, as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does toward silence, and each body a lion of courage, and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride, Married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited. And What the Living Do by Marie Howe. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there, and the drainer won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber. I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky's a deep, headstrong blue. And the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street and the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and my sleeve, I thought it again and again later when buying a hairbrush. This is it. Parking. Slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you called that yearning. What you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and we want the winter to pass and we want whoever to call or not call a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking When I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face, and unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. Still by week two after Jim's death, I remained frozen. Life was on hold, I couldn't move. Until the day a friend took me out to dinner and then to a bookstore. Passing by the checkout counter, I saw the greeting cards. One whole rack was devoted to cards calling, missing you. Yes. I said out loud, but where to send it? It was the next day I wrote a letter to Jim. Dear Jim, I have come here to the blank and digital whiteness of this computer to write my farewell to you because it is with the memory of you I feel the most alive and because I cannot face my usual pencil and brown notebook. They too, like all else in this physical house, this noisy street, this beating, alive and beautiful world, are so full of you I can barely breathe. Everything, exactly everything real can touch that place just below my diaphragm that causes the extremity of my losing you to break the boundary of holding it together with a force unstoppable. On their own, the tears run down. My hands cannot stop clutching my heart my belly as if by their force alone. My insides are kept from leaping out to join you wherever you are. I've looked for escape, a walk, a call, a poem, but nothing works. There's no one who can comfort me, not even myself. Now, every moment that we hoped for the best, every time I kept myself from crying when I saw you, pensive, alone, holding your hands that had betrayed you with their neuropathy, head bowed, blue eyes downcast, every moment of torture treatment that you bravely bore for which I could do nothing but drive you there and back again and hold you lightly so as to not cause more pain. That time close to the end when you were so restless you couldn't stay in bed and throughout the night you would get up and wander the house on your weak legs and your walker. How I woke one night to found you crumpled on the floor and sleep deprived and in fear that hospice would take you away if they found out, I got angry at you. I begged you to come back to bed, begging you for the rest of the night to make a fist around my finger so I would know you are still here. Every moment I did not save you is now showing up to greet me no matter where I turn. Guilt, Bruce gently reminded me recently, is easier than helplessness for us as humans to hold. I'm remembering just six weeks ago now, when you were still here, how I began losing things. My lightning connector, Apple earbuds, my checkbook, purple trousers, and then my black all-purpose makes me look presentable, tossed over anything from jeans to a little black dress jacket with a bird pin. It was in the car and then it wasn't. Our friends who we'd been visiting looked, found nothing. All morning I looked and looked as if by looking it would materialize. It haunted me, called out, distracted me from doing other things, hung on a peg in my heart, briefly appeared as a navy blue shawl over the banister of the neighbor's porch, and then disappeared disappeared again. By evening it had melted into the big loss, not a thing separate from your imminent goneness but you no longer beside me, no longer waking in the night to track the moon, no longer coming back to bed with cool hands from your having washed them, and placing them on my warm legs to warm you up. While I searched for my jacket that day, you called friends as they came to your mind. With each one, you told a story of how you had gotten to this here and now, verifying the reality of your newly discovered dramatically shortened lifespan like paving the path ahead of yourself so you would find the way, making your death a fact. I watched and listened. What I learned was how to meter out my hope and how to let go. How in the middle of the night that night I dreamt my black jacket was becoming someone else's. And then something else. A rag, a bird, a shadow. Someone said to me recently, I heard you lost your husband. But now that you are gone, I know I did not lose you. That is delusion, as I know exactly where I left you. I was holding your hand for hours when your rattling breath like a train about to jump the tracks slowed, then stopped. And then your hand loosened just a bit Everyone but me had left the house and then the clock struck 10. And I smiled, how like you to arrive wherever you are going just on time. But no, you are not lost. As Norman reminded me when I called him just past 10 you are changed Gate Gate Paragate Parasam Gate Bodhi Sva. Now I search for your essence. I sleep on your side of the bed, drink from your cup, sit in your chair with a long view of your garden. Listen to another of your party playlists. You are elusive. It is if your essence has made a clean and quiet exit from this party. Having spent all your vibrancy during the past year fighting to remain here where you deeply loved life. The memory I return to as the days pass, the memory I need to be able to hold both your life and death together with one breath. The memory that grounds me brings you closest is that memory of your hand and mine entwined, flesh on flesh in those final hours. I had seen during your last days, as your friends moved in and out to be with you, that others, many others, had come to lean into your constancy as well. One day you were growing weaker and were using the walker to walk off your unsettledness but you were also tethered to that long green oxygen tube fed by a concentrator that required someone to always walk behind you to wrangle the tubing. At one point it was your college roommate who was doing the honors. He followed you as you walked into your office. And then you backed out again into the hall, and you paused. Your friend said, where are you going? And you said, I don't know. And the friend said, well, I was following you. And after the briefest pause, you quietly replied, turned, and said, dangerous. And your friend said, now you tell me. Your groundedness and clarity and humor and the quickness of your mind, those are the Dharma gates that open to the specificity of you. And to the absoluteness of the space we made together into which our shared life flowed to the absoluteness of the mystery of weeness. As normalcy returns and I spend time in our house alone without friends and family, the energy moves in spurts and juts as evening falls. Grief becomes a watchful animal, I watch it back, alive, afraid, not sure of its moves, whether it will retreat or jump towards me, the balance ever shifting, dinner, dishes, shower, can hold the normalcy for a bit, but the juddering and scampering re-enters When I forget for a moment too long that your love is exploding out and out and out into the universe now. Have you gotten as far as the moon? Outside the solar system? Can I open my heart to this big now? Everything imagined is reality. I remind myself. Since you've gone, the world moves in its familiar, surprising, wonderless, puzzling, chaotic way. More and more, I am grateful that you lived beyond your four score years and 10 to be what could be called an old man, a gift in itself. That you had an amazing life, full of friends, that we found each other, that you died at home. I see that all my life I was a bride married to amazement, and you were my bridegroom, taking the world into your arms and sharing it with me. You, my dear one, did not simply visit this world. Nor do I need to tell you of the sorrows you left behind. They are as many and even more than when you left. It is your time to go. Now I sit each morning with these dear faces of my Sangha friends, eyes closed and silent holding me while I remember the Sashin. After Jack died, and Dahlia sat beside me that whole week and just let the tears come. It is for me now, for us the living, to take our hearts softened, opened by your life and death, expand our love to hold. One life and death in every breath, then two, then ten, then twenty-one, then all the numberless. I vow to become it. Thank you all for being here.